My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Sarah Ido and Pisu. What would it look like to approach questions of sexual and reproductive health and rights in a way that centers youth? Moreover, what about in a way that centers indigenous youth, black youth, racialized youth, migrant youth, including those who are queer or trans? It is these kinds of questions that are being both asked and answered in the context of this year's Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week, or SRH Week, campaign. SRH Week is an annual campaign from Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, an organization that works to advance sexual and reproductive health and rights in this country and around the world. Within Canada, they provide both services and educational resources related to sexual health and rights, they have a membership of 25 local sexual health centers across the country, and they engage in related law reform and policy advocacy work. This year's SRH Week is taking place between February 8th and 14th, and its theme is Youth-Friendly Care, It's Your Right. As in other years, the goal is to stimulate conversations, highlight the work of partner organizations, and share both public education resources and resources to help clinics. In this case, to help them offer youth-friendly care, including with a focus on things like disability, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Beyond that, the campaign also aims to recognize that youth are the experts in their own health and their own needs, and that in many contexts, the most important work in this area is already being done by youth, like, for instance, today's guests and their organizations. Sarah Ido is a Black Queer Youth Coordinator for the Black Coalition of AIDS Prevention in Toronto, but she's speaking today representing Nuance, a digital youth publication that aims to fill the media gaps when it comes to sex and sexual health, particularly in terms of the lack of migrant voices. Nuance also has a fellowship program in which Ido has participated to allow young immigrant racialized queer writers, artists, and community builders in the Toronto area to build skills and networks Pisu is a Nehio individual, originally from Samson Cree First Nation, who currently lives in Edmonton, Alberta, in Treaty 6 territory. They identify as queer and disabled, and they are an indigenous full-spectrum birth worker and a sexual and reproductive health educator. They're speaking as part of the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, or NISHN, an organization by and for indigenous youth that does work on these issues throughout the U.S. and Canada. Ido and Pisu say that, not surprisingly, to take up questions of sexual health and rights in a way that centers Indigenous, Black, racialized, and migrant youth looks different in different contexts. But it probably doesn't look like what your high school health teacher, your doctor, or your public health nurse do. According to today's guests, it is generally holistic, treating sexuality and reproduction as part of whole, rich, complex lives, rather than a separate sphere to be compartmentalized and dealt with clinically, it is often deeply connected to culture. And in the case of nuance and nishin, it means having a peer-to-peer -peer model rather than a top-down model led by an expert. It means storytelling. It means deep care for trauma. It means humor. It means connection. And, crucially, 
to center black and indigenous youth in care, education, and conversation related to sexual and reproductive health and rights means recognizing the relevance of histories of colonization, genocide, and enslavement, and the ways that their ongoing realities and their afterlives still profoundly shape how sexuality and gender are experienced, how trauma is experienced, and how joy and pleasure are experienced. Sometimes, all of this means challenging mainstream organizations that deal with sexual health and rights to do better. But often, it means letting black, indigenous, racialized, and migrant youth who are already doing the work get on with it, maybe making space, maybe providing resources, but recognizing that they are already in the lead. I speak with Ido and Pisu about SRH Week 2021, about youth-friendly care, and about what it means to center black, indigenous, racialized, and migrant youth in questions of sexual health and rights. Tanse, pisunit sigasan, nipsikopakotsniagate, miskuchiwiskaige, miguchnuigan. Hi, my name is Pisu. I am a Nehio individual living out in Treaty 6 territory. I am from Samson Cree Nation, Muscogee, and I currently reside in Edmonton, Alberta, otherwise known as Amiskwichi. I am a Indigenous full-spectrum birth worker and sexually reproductive health educator, and I work with Nishin, Native Youth Sexual Health Network. We're a by and for Indigenous youth organization working in the realms of sexual health, culturally safe sex education, reclaiming coming of age ceremonies, working around harm reduction, and I guess just like full spectrum birth work. And for people that maybe don't know what full spectrum is, it includes a lot of things. My definition of full spectrum is not just working with birth. But working with, I guess, all the aspects that come with birth and all the outcomes, whether that be pregnancy options in the realm of abortion care, miscarriage, surrogacy, adoption, foster care, child welfare. And then we also do a lot of like environmental justice because we really believe that violence on the land is violence on the body. For me, as an Ahio person, we have this belief that we come from the land, our language comes from the land, our teachings come from the land. So what happens to the land happens to us. We also work with youth who are in custody, in jail, in prison systems, child welfare systems, sex trade, sex industries, and street economies, working with indigenous feminism and masculinities, working with two-spirit and LGBTQ youth, and also doing advocacy and awareness for them. My name is Sarah Ito. I'm a recent student. I completed a graduate degree studying Black queer pleasure in the city of Toronto. I currently work for the Black Coalition of AIDS Prevention as a Black queer youth coordinator working with youth across the GTA. I am here representing Nuance, which is a digital youth publication that deals with filling in the gaps with like popular sex and sexual health media. And it was mostly created in response to the lack of representation of migrant voices around sexual health and sexual care. 
So it is a digital publication, but it also has a fellowship program, which I was a part of, which is a professional development program for young immigrant, racialized, queer writers and artists and community builders across the GTA to participate in skill building and also community building and truth telling around our sexual intimate lives. So it's actually mostly digital. When the fellowship program was live, that was a combination of like kind of community workers, artists, writers. We would have meetings and persons and like workshops. And then we would have like an event that would welcome performers and writers, artists to share their work. So it's mostly based in community spaces, community centers, but because of the pandemic, everything is digital. So most of the work is like articles and art being shared online. How did you come to be doing this kind of work? How I got into this work kind of starts with like my life story. I am the child and grandchild of residential school survivors. And because of the impacts of residential school on them and their well-being, I was placed in the foster care system from a baby up until I was 18. I'm also a queer, disabled, Indigenous youth. And growing up, I was raised in white Catholic homes. And there wasn't a lot of discussion around sexual health, sexual well-being, sexual pleasure, and just not a lot of space made for me to explore my well-being on many different levels. And when I was 17 or 18, I was introduced to the term doula. And from there on, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of birth work, sexual health, the reclamation of oneself with their language and their culture. And I began working with an organization called Indigenous Birth of Alberta, and I still work with them to this day. We're a grassroots organization out here in Treaty 6, but we do work in Treaty 6, Treaty 7, and Treaty 8, and Métis Nations, providing culturally appropriate care to Indigenous families, helping them find ways to reclaim birthing practices, and helping them navigate Western medical institutions. And along with that, I found out about Nishin, and that was about 2017. And they introduced me to radical reproductive justice within Indigenous communities and sexual health, centering Indigenous youth. For myself, very similarly, it has been a deeply personal path to this place that I'm at now. Without getting into details, my investment, because it's beyond interest, in sexual health, but also like sexual intimate life was through a very traumatic experience with a doctor around my sexual health and how I felt in that moment, how my body felt in that moment, but I also how I felt about the medical industry and how I felt I was being seen in that space as a Black woman and how my sexual life was seen in that space. So I think that is what led me to commit my intellectual, creative, and community work towards reproductive and sexual health care. It led to me wanting to take that into academia and like learning a little bit more about the relationship between Black, queer women particularly, and the way our sexualities are maintained and surveilled by the state and from like a public health level. But it also led me to community spaces like Nuance, where I could talk to other youth who were thinking and trying to have honest conversations about sex. For a lot of 
within our families and communities, there's not a lot of honesty because that space is so governed by shame. And it also led me to specifically Black spaces where sex was the center of conversation. So it really led me to think about just how sexual life is governed for Black queer people. And Nuance was one of the spaces that I felt like I could do that. What is Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights SRH Week campaign, and what does this year's theme mean for your organizations? How does it show up in terms of principles, ways of work, examples, or whatever else? SRH Week stands for Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week. Every year they have a campaign to raise awareness around sexual and reproductive health, share resources, community health across the country, or what is known as Canada. And this year, their theme is youth-friendly care. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our organization? I believe both of our organizations are youth-led, but that really gets us reflecting on what it means for youth-friendly care to guide the work, and what does it mean to be youth-led, but also go by a for-us-by-us kind of politics. And so being completely youth-led and youth-focused, especially around care, means a very different approach to sexual and reproductive health. For nuance, that means that a lot of the way our knowledge and resources are circulated is through a peer model where there is kind of a complete teardown of the top-down approach. This is kind of less seen in like public health and sexual health fields where there's the expert and the way knowledge is circulated is more from like a top down, whereas a lot of our mode of learning and sharing is through storytelling. It's through multimedia storytelling. So for what SRH Week means in that way is that we are here to share and highlight stories and truth tell around sexual health and what it means to us is it's a very deeply personal thing. For example, one of the ways that we interact with our youth is we have a program called the Sexy Health Carnival. It's an all-age friendly event to learn about sexual health, harm reduction, and reproductive health. Most of our Sexy Health Carnival events are on reserves, and we see a huge gap in medical care and in sexual reproductive care on reserves. Majority of the schools out there, they're being taught from like a very Alberta health model. It's very fear-based. You know, a lot of it is don't have sex as a teenager or you'll get pregnant. You know, that mean girls line where like, don't have sex, you'll get pregnant and you'll die. (laughs) Um, I feel like that's what it's kind of like. And there's no cultural teachings within that kind of education. So what we bring into the Sexy Health Carnival is it's run by youth. I find that a lot of the youth are more comfortable talking about their health and their pleasure with other youth. Whereas, you know, it's kind of scary, like talking to an adult or to a professional or to a doctor. So there is that sense of connection. It's also fun. We have games. We have prizes. It's very interactive. And it's meant for everyone. It's not just meant for youth, but majority of the people that are attending these are youth. So yeah, that's just one of the ways that we look at approaching this kind of education. 
And to be honest, I don't know any other organization that does this form of education in this style. It's very hands-on, very interactive, very entertaining, and almost amusing. So that's one of the things that we do. Thinking about that brings so much to mind because on the SRH week theme of youth-friendly care, I'm thinking a lot about like care specifically and how within Nuance, there's so much care treated and how stories are represented, how people feel heard and seen, just the process, how people's stories are taken in and then represented and shared with others and how much relationship building there is in that and how community-centered that is. Which, if we're thinking of other more like institutionalized ways of like public health or sexual health, knowledge dissemination, it's actually much more cold and there isn't a lot of care. It's actually quite devoid of care. So that's really what comes to mind with the difference in how people and stories are treated, how truth and honesty is so much at center of that, especially when with our audience specifically, it's kind of first, second generation of people talking about intimate stories that often don't get shared and it's seen as like taboo to actually talk about. So so this has to be treated very delicately. In your experiences in engaging with Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth in all of these settings, what have you heard from them about what they need, what they want? I think what people want to like learn or maybe even express or create is different modes of being, of thinking about sex and sexuality, you know, the way that we're taught about sex in schools is from a very Western conceived notion. Like we have different gendering systems from different cultures. The way even just gender and sexuality is to be understood, the way trauma in these cultures to be understood, like there's so much gaps, like it's all one big gap. And each person's relationship to sexual care, reproductive care, particularly like Black, Indigenous, and racialized folks is deeply complex and often wound in very complicated histories of like colonialism and enslavement. And this is deliberately excluded in formal education systems and like in media representations. From what I've witnessed, I think youth and like the people that I've been around want to be in honest relationship with others. And talk about these things very honestly and how it affects them in their bodies and have more of like an embodied understanding of sexual and reproductive care. And yeah, want to do so in a way that's authentic. I think authenticity and a denial of history compounded can make for a very dysfunctional understanding of sexual, intimate, reproductive life. I think a lot of Black, Indigenous youth, what they seek is they just want someone who has had that lived experience, someone who looks like them. Because again, that's connection that is allowing that individual to be vulnerable and to look at the other person and be like, this is someone that I can trust, someone who shares a similar culture or language. In the work that Nishin does, I find a lot of youth are seeking that cultural connection. So many of us have been disconnected from our culture and our languages and just our teachings because of settler colonialism and residential schools and all these other ways that just affect us. So, yeah, a lot of them are just seeking culturally appropriate activities. Another example of what we do is like condom beating. And it it kind of sounds funny. But it's a way of getting kids or youth to learn about safe sex, 
It's also just a way to sit down and do something that is both related to sexual health and to culture. I find when you're doing something artistic, you get in this mode of talking and the youth start telling stories and they start opening up and they just want someone to talk to that will understand them. So I think that is what a lot of youth seek in this sort of work. What would you like to see mainstream organizations that deal with sexual health and rights do differently, do better when it comes to engaging with Black and Indigenous youth? It's hard to provide safe care to Black, Indigenous youth without understanding the racist colonial history of sexual and reproductive health and how this history continues to affect and impact the care that our communities receive. I guess I just want Western medical health to acknowledge the truth and the history of harm towards youth who are BIPOC and how this is necessary when we talk about youth-friendly care. And I really believe in trauma-informed care. You can't provide safe care without understanding the impacts of trauma. And when I speak about the colonial history of sexual and reproductive violence, I'm talking about like eugenics and the forced sterilization of Indigenous women and the you know experimental uses of birth control on disabled youth, on Indigenous youth, on Black youth. And there's so many other historical traumas that we've received, and I'm not going to talk about it. So I guess coming back to what I said before, just understand and acknowledge the truth and the history of what we have been through and how this has impacted and still impacts the care that we receive. When I think of mainstream organizations and what they can do differently, the first thing that comes to mind is that mainstream organizations can know their limitations. And know where they are welcomed and where they're not welcomed. I think one of the greatest things about youth is that they're always doing the work, whether that is within an organization or within an institution or not. Youth are so resourceful in that way that they're always doing the work because the gaps are always there. And so I would love for mainstream organizations to know what work is theirs and what work isn't theirs and where the work is already happening because the work is already happening. And One of the issues when larger organizations or institutions that do public sexual reproductive health care work try to incorporate people when they're not actually like centered. So now we're talking about like Black, Indigenous youth, when they're not actually centered in the foundations of it, because a lot of institutions, a lot of organizations can be fundamentally like harmful to some bodies. And that is the truth of the matter. Not that it's going to be harmful to every single person, but just in the way that it's conceived and the way that it actually moves through people. Like it's more likely that harm is going to happen in some spaces than others. So if there are communities or groups that are doing the work, I think like material things, resources or attention or collaborations where it's not an unhealthy kind of collaboration dynamic where like one organization is doing all the work, but one is giving the money kind of thing. So for mainstream organizations, I think their work is to just redirect the focus, attention and money to communities that are already doing this work and that are taking it within their own hands. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But within these organizations, I think approaching sexual and reproductive care is a very holistic thing. Moving away from sexual health just being about condoms and pregnancy, 
moving away from treating this as just a segment or just a portion of people's lives because often our relationships to our bodies, our relationships to our sexualities, our relationships to the history of that can be a deeply complicated thing. And so it must be treated with such care and holistically. And holistically also reckons with the way race, class, abilities also impact sexual and reproductive life. I'm biased because I do think there's many limitations within mainstream organizations, and that's not my work, nor do I really care to put much attention or focus into that. So it would be focusing back to the people who can do it themselves. Yeah, like Sarah said, focusing back on people who can do this themselves, because I feel like there's this idea that we somehow aren't doing this work. And again, like this has been reiterated so many times, but acknowledging that youth are able to do this type of work. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Black Indigenous people, or I don't want to speak on other people, but especially for Indigenous people, I think there's a lot of ideas that we don't have the resources to do this work and that we're not able to, and that like we're too shut off from (laughs) society to be able to do this. So just recognizing that we have the abilities and that we have our own resources and that, you know, maybe the way that we do things isn't necessarily under a Western frame of mind, but that we are still doing this type of work because we know what is best for us and the type of work that we are doing benefits us as individuals and as a community. So I know that the work of your respective organizations, specifically the offline elements of it, are pretty hampered by the pandemic right now. But talk about what you do have planned and about what forms you might like the work to take once it's possible to be together with our communities in person again. I know collaborations with other organizations is definitely in the works, which is pretty exciting. I don't know if I'm allowed to speak on it specifically, but I know that there is collaborations with other organizations happening that will provide like writing opportunities to use. But for what I wish in a world that isn't, you know, ravaged by like multiple pandemics and not only the virus kind, I think the fellowship program, which I was a part of last year, was an incredible experience. It was incredible to work with writers and artists and community people who are coming together for the purposes of sharing stories and talking honestly about our experiences and also the professional development parts of it. You have an org that brings you closer to like really cool people and where you can do that together and have a community of working together has been a wonderful experience. So I look forward to the day that that is possible again. I'm not too sure what is actually planned, but I know that I am very excited to get back out into community, especially where I am located, and to build relationships with them and to interact with them. Because they're family, especially out here in Alberta, especially Treaty 6. It's very close-knit. That's what I look forward to in the future. I look forward to getting the Sexy Health Carnival back up and running and to provide that to our communities again. My hope is that people continue this conversation because this isn't something that just happens for a week and then is over. I think it's a very important conversation that people do need to continue having. So, you know, if you're listening to this, I hope that this sparks some inspiration into you to continue this conversation. You have been listening to my interview with Sarah Ido of Nuance and Pisu of the Native Youth Sexual Health Network. 
To learn more about Nuance, go to medium.com slash shareyournuance. To learn more about Nishin, go to nativeyouthsexualhealth.com. And to learn more about SRH Week, go to actioncanadashr.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>